It's a mini-sode. It's not the same as an episode, because it's mini. There's less stuff in it, because it's shorter. It's a mini-sode. Roughly one-third the size of an episode, but not a third of sode. That's just awkward. Sounds like a diet pill or something, and it's not. It's a mini-sode. Hello and welcome to a very special mini episode of Ineptus Astartus. We're calling this one 6.5. We're putting this together very short order after episode 6 because there's some important stuff going on and we just really need to talk to you about it. So for this episode today, we're going to make it real short, real simple. There will be one listener question, there will be one announcement, and there will be one additional installment in the Centurion series. So let's just get right to it as soon as I can. The question today is about jet bikes, Um, and this listener says, I know that jet bikes are very different this edition from last edition. Do you still rate them? Do you still think they are going to be worthwhile? I think I've talked about this before. I've mentioned it before, but I think I'd go into more specifics here. I do think jet bikes are still good. I think that there are definitely some things that you have to think about, in particular when you're comparing this edition's jet bikes to last edition's jet bikes. But you can definitely use them. They definitely do have a place in lists. Um, So first of all, they are fast attack choices. So depending on your army build or whatever else, that might be a competitive spot for you or it might not be. They are a pretty effective mobile weapon platform this edition, similar to the way they were last edition, except for the fact that perhaps even better. Last edition, you had the whole one in every three. So if you've got three jet bikes, one of them can take a special weapon. And those squads were capped at six. So that meant that a six-person, six-jet-bike squad, you'd have two special weapons um, at most. Now every jet-bike in the squad can take one, and you can can put more in the squad. So that's all excellent. It's 105 points base. You get three models to start with, and you can take up to seven additional. So a total of 10, 30 points each. That's not cheap, but, I mean, you can do it. They're they're pretty big squads. So there are a number of ways that jet bikes have drastically changed this edition when compared to last edition, and I'm just going to try to outline them briefly, at least in my terms, of what I think is important to note. One is that there is a huge difference in their offensive capabilities. The biggest thing is that, like I said, you can put a special weapon on every single one in the squad. So if you want an entire squad of multi-meltas, big or small, you can do so. There was a a heavy choice in the last edition that you could do so, so you could like get an entire squad of melted jet bikes if you wished, but it took up that heavy support slot. Now that whole thing's kind of been mixed in here, so that's good. You can kit out your jet bikes to be specific towards one thing, And the weapon upgrades are not as unbelievably oppressive as you might imagine. The multi-melta will still end up making a pretty expensive squad, but Volkite Culverins are only five points a model, so it makes a really compelling choice. And as a matter of fact, I think I would, I think I would, that would be what I would go for. That's my baseline choice. Now, if you were smart, last edition, aka not me, then maybe you magnetize all your weapons so you're sitting pretty there. I'm going to have to rip a whole bunch of heavy bolters off of my White Scars bikes in order to change that before Adepticon, but we'll get there when we get there. So the offensive ability for the shooting is dramatically different. There has been a nerf, however, in regards to their ability to be... Uh, well, they don't have bombs anymore. You used to be able to give the whole squad bombs. So you'd have these little six-man squads, two heavy weapons, bombs running around. They could jump out and tag different squads now 
because you have the option to give the whole squad multi-meltas. It's more expensive, but you still have that choice and option. So you still can use this unit to take out tanks. It's just different. So offensive capabilities, I think in a lot of ways, improved. Now, the next thing, defensive capabilities, I'm going to go ahead and say massively, massively decreased. So the jet bikes in this edition have gained a wound. They're uh, two wound models. However, their armor save has degraded by one from two plus to three plus. But the biggest thing is the removal of the jink mechanic from the game. So in Heresy 1.0, which again is not in the game, so please don't confuse this, you used to be able to declare a jink with certain vehicles when you were shot at, and they gave you a four plus cover save. It allowed you to get a little bit more survivable if you were sh being shot at by something that was particularly dangerous and powerful and you didn't want your expensive, in this situation, jet bikes to just get wiped off the board. It was nice. Now, there were cost-benefit analysis with this. A unit that Jinx has to snapshoot next turn, but, you know, there was a lot of survivability built into that. You could reposition your jet bikes then uh, a turn after jinking, get a chance to restart the offensive someplace else. Jink is gone. You can instead get the shrouded reaction. However, anti-grav cavalry, which is what jet bikes are, are never able to have cover. And so my understanding is that they also can't shroud. So that's just not a choice for you. So two wound models. It's toughness four by the way, instead of toughness five. So they lose a point of toughness, they gained one wound, and they lose an armor save. These things are not nearly as tough as they used to be. Their offensive capability, the shooting specifically, is improved, but they are considerably softer in that regards. So that is something to pay attention to. One small change that's important to note is that you can upgrade the sergeant to have artificer armor, just like a lot of other squads, so you still can have a character with Artificer Armor in the squad if you so choose. So you've got at least somebody with a 2 plus save if they decide they want to tank some things. And then they can be given the standard array of weapons, etc, etc, whatever. So there are just a lot of differences. And the jet bike is going to play out very differently than it would beforehand. If we're talking about loadouts, there's a couple different things I would consider. Um, my two things that I would target specifically are the Volkite Culverin, which is a cheap anti-infantry option or the multi-melta which is, of course is a little bit more expensive but it's kind of i guess barring the fact that they can't put las cannons on these things it's it's the best anti-tank option you're going to have especially if you're going to be playing a themed army that is based off of jet bikes like i do you wouldn't necessarily need a huge squad of multi-meltas just because it can get to be overkill and it's going to draw a lot of heat but Let's say you want to put a five-man jet bike squad together. 250 points is five jet bikes. Sergeant has artificer armor, and everyone else has multi-meltas. So that's five multi-meltas shooting at, you know, whatever. It's on a fast carriage. It can get around the board in different places. And, you know, it's it's not no points, but it's not an unbelievably back-breaking amount for the ability to probably seriously hinder or remove one armored target per turn. Multi-meltas, of course, now having based twin-linked, and the fact that their melta ability makes it... They're much more reliable to nuke you know, armor, and even melta itself also allows rerolls against dreadnoughts, so they're going to be pretty good at shaving hit points off dreadnoughts as well, provided they're in range. 
I have been running my jet bikes in my white scars list in groups of six because that's the way they were last edition. I haven't thought much about changing them yet, but six jet bikes with all Volkite and Artificer Armor on the Sergeant is 235 points. Again, you know, it's it's a decent chunk, but there's a lot of shots in with that. Now that Volkites have five Volkite culverins, which is what those those bikes come with, have five shots apiece. That is a lot of firepower going down range. And then with a change of deflagrate to say that you, as soon as the wound is taken, then you potentially roll another one, as opposed to it being something that required a model to be removed. Deflagrate, I think, is good. And this is a unit that has a lot of firepower and the ability to wipe 10-man squads if, if dice get hot and for you and cold for your opponent. In conclusion, I think that you could definitely take a squad of these with almost any legion. You just have to be aware of the fact that they are considerably more fragile than they used to be. If you decide to take a small squad, for example, with multi-meltas, I think you could do a lot with them, hide them until you need them, swing them out, and remove one high-value armor or dreadnought target. Definitely something that could be useful in almost any army. Fluffy for almost anybody, even if you're not playing you know, Dark Angels or White Scars or some other legion that has you know, an absolute just ton of these. So now for the announcement. So this is being recorded on Monday night, the, the 10th of January at, well, like, no, I'm sorry. It's now Tuesday morning, the 10th. But anyway, when this is being recorded, we're just, for me, one sleep away from the Adepticon registration, which was a bear. Last year, it was considerably easier to go in and get my events and whatever else. I was unfortunate enough to have, we had family in town while I was trying to register for events, and so I was like refreshing things on my phone and trying to interact with relatives and everything else at the same time. It was it was a bit of a mess. But, you know, 55 minutes later, I managed to get at least signed in, and um, I got one event and I got waitlisted. The fantastic people who work for and volunteer for the Horse Heresy, Zach, Dan, Alex, and then a bunch of other people that I don't know well enough to name drop in a video like this. Thank you for everything you do. You know, like I said, Monday night, they already had a situation figured out. They could expand the tables and a whole bunch of other people were taken off of the wait list. It was a mess to get signed up. It was very stressful and everyone was talking about it online. But one of the things that I want to point out, somebody said, this is only the second Adepticon after COVID. People weren't sure what was going to happen. A lot of conventions, a lot of a lot of community-funded events like this didn't survive COVID. And the fact that Adepticon came back, did great, and then now, just two years later, is having such huge, uh, such a huge surge for Horus Heresy is really, really awesome. At one point, I had heard that the wait lists were entirely full. You couldn't even join the wait lists anymore. And those wait lists, I believe, were... Someone said to me that those wait lists might be 40 people. So some of them, the wait lists were longer than the number of people who had gotten in for the initial event. Just a crazy awesome turnout and super exciting for me as someone who loves the Horus Heresy. To have a little fun at this, because it was a little stressful and whatever else, I put together a silly little t-shirt. It's got the spinning wheel that many of us were staring at as the website attempted to boot up and get us to the ticket. And it just says, I survived Adepticon registration 2023. Now, I've talked about this before, Part of the reason that I decided to do this was because 
of the passing of David Coleman. And I saw this as a cool opportunity to give us a chance to say something to him and specifically to his fiance, who is undergoing a lot. Uh, David passed just not, not even a month ago, maybe just barely over a month ago. There is a link in the show notes here to buy those shirts. They'll be delivered to you. The campaign was started on Sunday, and it'll go for two weeks. I'm going to see if I can extend it beyond that if there's enough people interested. But there, the campaign is also open to allow people to make more donations if they wish to to Hannah, who is David's uh, fiance, who's obviously in deep mourning and trying to pick up the pieces of her life. I'm going to be wearing one, sporting one at Adepticon. I hope hope to see some of you doing the same thing. Great way to show David that we care, show each other, you know, a great way for us to connect a good cause and a fun little meme at the same time. One more time, I just want to say thank you to the Adepticon crew for dealing with like an unbelievable surge in new people who are interested that those are crazy numbers and i can't wait to see just how many people we have packing that nirvana hall at adepticon so we're only going to do one centurion tonight but i suspect that this is one you will see in a lot of your games um, across a wide variety of opponents it's really powerful and it's definitely one worth talking about and exploring Maybe it deserves to have an episode all on its own. And it's the Chaplain. And the Chaplain was super popular last edition. Chaplain has changed a little bit, but not necessarily a ton, and is still going to be a mainstay in a lot of people's lists. If you are starting a new Horus Heresy Legion, you're going to want to convert up someone to look like a Chaplain, especially if you have any sort of close combat unit that you're hoping to use in your army, because the Chaplain is an absolute support monster for close combat units, super awesome utility, and a really great example of how the the Centurion rules can be used to make an entirely different feel effect on your force if you choose to do so. So the Chaplain does add a few special rules. A Chaplain for 35 points grants the Stubborn and the Hatred Everything rule to the unit that he joins. In addition... The chaplain's leadership is increased to 10. So the stubborn special rule specifically says that you ignore modifiers, negative modifiers, when you are taking a leadership or a pinning test. So what this means is that if the chaplain's in the unit, then you can use the chaplain's leadership. And that means a leadership 10 test, basically no matter what, if you're getting pinned or whatever. I believe this interacts with night fighting, prevents that negative from happening. If you're badly losing combat, testing on 10 anyway that's it's a very great it's a great ability to have it means that the chaplain's unit will very likely not be breaking or running the next rule to talk about is hatred for the chaplain it's specifically hatred everything there are going to be other rules in the game that say hatred of a specific thing it might be independent characters it might be infantry whatever in this situation chappie chappie hates them all in the first round of combat when either the squad has been charged or charges itself this squad can re-roll all failed hits in the first round. And that is a huge force multiplier. Now, this only lasts for the first turn, so subsequent rounds of combat, it's back to normal, whatever else. You still have your stubborn and your leadership 10, so you're still going to stay in combat. But the ability to add that much additional oomph is, is really, really impressive. In this edition... 
rolling to hit has become considerably more fraught than it has in the past. So in last edition, weapon skill did not necessarily matter a whole bunch. It mattered for your ability to hit your opponent, but it was not necessarily something that bothered you as much if you were striking into an opponent who was considerably stronger than you. But now, as we've talked about several times before on this podcast, if you are striking at an opponent who has a higher weapon skill than you, then you lessen your likelihood to strike them back um, by a minus one, seemingly. So typically, instead of a, uh, if you're even, it's a four plus. If they're higher than you, it's a five plus. That is a significant change in the likelihood for you to be able to strike things. Um, and you know you really, really want to be able to hit so that you can cause wounds. So let's talk about one example of where you might put, well, let's talk about the combat potential of a specific squad. So let's say we're talking about 10 tactical marines and they have chain bayonets and they have been charged. So in a typical situation, if they're striking a weapon skill four unit, something equivalent to them, they will hit five times. And then of those five times, they're roughly going to hit or cause three wounds, okay? So a 10-man squad might cause three wounds. Now, the Chaplain has an unbelievable ability to multiply this by allowing you to re-roll all of your missed hits. So going back to the start, if we take those five misses that we did before, uh, on average, we're going to hit two, maybe three times out of those five on the re-rolls. So now we're adding, we're about at eight hits. And now we're looking at roughly four or five wounds instead of three, which is a significant difference in overall uh, ability to hit. Now, that is just if we're talking about basic old tactical marines. Imagine if we were talking about something fiercer. Imagine instead if we're talking about a Dark Angels Knight Cenobian squad, five, five lads with the Tyrannic Greatswords. We're looking at 11 attacks there. At hitting probably well their weapon skill five and the sergeant ha a sergeant equivalent has a weapon skill six so we're going to assume they're hitting roughly two-thirds of the time that hit gets us to about seven hits of those seven hits because the weapon's strength plus two likely we're looking at wounding on a two plus so we'll go ahead and say six successful wounds some of which we're hoping will be murderous strike but whatever 11 attacks six successful wounds that sounds pretty good with a chaplain, those four misses can be converted pretty reliably into at least two more additional hits, and then we're talking about even more wounds and even more chances to trigger that instant death. It's really, really useful also to put it on other units, like chaplain in a squad of six, Golden Keshig. The Golden Keshig have the Kantos Power Lances that are so devastating, but you only get one strike apiece. Being able to make sure you get a reroll on that to make sure that they land is really, really important, really, really valuable. A sidebar here and for the rest of this video will be the fact that my dog could really use a chaplain as an attached character. There is apparently a deer or two in the backyard and they are scaring her. So she's hiding under the table. If you hear any animal sounds, it's fear and flight from prey in my backyard. Man, wouldn't it be great to have that Leadership 10, Hazel? You would really appreciate it. The Chaplain gets one additional perk, which is a slight variation on the way things worked before. Um, a Chaplain with a power weapon may upgrade to a Mastercrafted power weapon for free to represent the Crozius Arcanum, which is like that badge of office that 
that specific weapon that is the sign of the office of the chaplain. So as mentioned before, in previous episodes, and I guess implied here, the chaplain is one of the one of the centurions that can be taken in Terminator armor. So you're going to get a buff to your power weapon. If you're a standard artificer armor centurion, a power weapon is going to run you 15 points. Now on top of that, you will get an, an upgrade that otherwise would not be available to you if master crafted for free, roughly valued at about 10 points typically if you were able to purchase it. If you are playing as a chaplain in Terminator armor, the power weapon comes built in for free because of the power or the, the Terminator armor that you purchased. So in that case, then you can just mastercraft that thing, no problem. But you know, of course, the Terminator model is more expensive. Now I am currently looking at page 137 of the Liber Astartes book, um, and the power weapon section has the power sword, the power axe, the power maul, and the power lance sequestered off by itself. All these weapons are counted as power weapons for the rules that affect such weapons. A model, model that is eligible to select a power weapon may take any of these weapons included in this profile. The basic understanding, these are the four weapons that a chaplain can take as a Crozius and can use in that regard. Now, there are other weapon options that you can take. A power weapon is 15 points. For 10 points more, well, for 10 theoretical value points, you can master craft it, but you don't actually have to pay that. This is, this is something that's, uh, that I've been thinking about. So you can buy for 15 points that power weapon, probably an axe, depending on your legion, whatever else, maybe a maul, if you really, I don't know. I'm not sold on power mauls, but there's some people who love them. The other option though, is a power fist. Now, let me explain this. So first of all, the way the rule is written, you cannot mastercraft your power fist as part of your Crozius Arcanum. You just can't do that because it is not considered a basic tier power weapon. Now that being said, the question is whether we care. So chaplains give hatred and that means, again, to call back, in the first round of combat, whether they're charged or they charge, you get to re-roll all misses. The point of the uh, mastercrafted weapon is to re-roll one miss. So in any situation, if you're using one of those weapons and you've purchased the free upgrade, you aren't getting to use it in the first round of combat because you don't need it because you have a rule that is better than one re-roll. You get all re-rolls. So you get to just forget about that. Now, the essential value of that mastercrafted power axe, I suppose, is roughly 25 points because it's 15 points base plus 10 points for the upgrade. The other thing that is 25 points is just a power fist. And a power fist brings with it the ability to you know, instant kill most base marine models. Admittedly, you're striking at initiative uh, one, but if you were bringing a power axe, you were already striking at initiative one. It's got the same AP value, so you're going to crush AP2 just like you would with the Power Axe, only now you have the ability to instant kill. It's 10 more points. Is it really that big of a deal? 
I don't think you're necessarily going to always get the value that you want out of that master crafted, and so I think I would strongly consider doing this. It's only a 10 point upgrade if you are a Cataphracti or a Tartaros Centurion because you know you already have that built-in money that you've spent, the built-in points you've spent to get that power weapon in the first place. I suppose we really should talk about the fact that if you're thinking about the Power Fist, then for five points more, you can upgrade that Power Fist into a Thunder Hammer. And now you have a Thunder Hammer that has Brutal. So it's even easier for your Chaplain to kill, you know, something with a high invulnerable save um, with a Toughness 4 Marine Body. If you are a Chaplain in Terminator Armor, you could instead spend that five points to get a Chain Fist on top of the Power Fist. And now you've got two dice to use when tearing up vehicles, which would be really beneficial if you are afraid you're not going to have enough anti-tank. So, I mean, so what are you going to do? Now, the next part is to talk about how you're going to build this model. There's really not a wrong way to build a chaplain, provided they're in with a unit that is going to benefit from their close combat benefit. You don't need to put anything on the chaplain. Honestly, you don't even necessarily need to buy them the power weapon because you're not buying them for their offensive capabilities themselves. It's a benefit to have that character model in there with the 5 plus invulnerable save, with the weapon skill 5. But really, the reason you're bringing this model is because you can reroll hits on that first round of combat. Do you want to slap a jetpack on him? Put him in with some jump troops or some veteran you know, assault troops, some night raptors? Yeah, do it. You want to put them in Terminator armor and deep strike them in with somebody or, you know, throw them in a Spartan? Do that too. It really doesn't matter. The Chaplain's Force Multiplier ability is just so good that you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Now, I don't recommend putting a Chaplain on the table without a power weapon because I think that kind of goes against the fluff. And I kind of wish it was something that was required specifically. I'm just illustrating a point that you could really just run him with a chainsword and he'd still be an excellent addition to your force and cheaper. I will probably consider playing around with a power fist, chaplain, or power axe, depending on what kind of points I'm looking at for some of the different builds. But ultimately, you know, flex it, figure it out, taste it, and uh, season to flavor for you. Okay, thanks again for coming in for this one, folks. Just a little quick one, and basically all about taking an opportunity to talk about this fundraiser we've got going in memory of David Komen. Please uh, check it out if you've got the ability to buy a shirt. It would be really, really great way to, you know, say one last thing, vote with our dollars, so to speak, and show the memory of David that we care. I've got a goal. I've got an idea here. What if we try to sell at least 35 t-shirts? I think that'd be a good goal. 50 would be better. 35 would be great. If we get to 35, if we get to 35 t-shirts, then that thing that happened at the start of this episode with the singing, I will never sing on this podcast again. What do you think about that? Let's get 35 sales and no more singing from me. Thanks so much for this one. Uh, hope your hobby is progressing and I'll talk to you soon.